Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. This reading on the Epiphany reminds us that, and again, it's that strange narrative element in the story, why didn't the star take them straight to Bethlehem? Why did it take them to Jerusalem? And I think it took them to Jerusalem as we are always taken to Jerusalem because we must encounter the scriptures of Israel. That's what happens to them in Jerusalem. They encounter the scriptures of Israel. It is from the scriptures of Israel that they will receive the precise destination to which they are going, Bethlehem. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. Today on Preach, I'm joined by David Neuhaus. David is a Jesuit priest of the Near East province of the Jesuits and a teacher of scripture in Israel and Palestine. He is also born in South Africa. David, welcome to Preach. Thank you very much, Ricardo. It's good to be with you. It's great to be with you. David, I asked you to share a fun fact with me. And you said, I tend to prefer the company of babies to adults and volunteer in daycare centers in both Johannesburg and Jerusalem. Tell me a little bit about that. It's unusual to hear of a priest volunteering in daycare centers for children. So this was a dream from a long, long time ago. When I was about 20 years old, I registered for a program in caring for children under the age of two. And I was refused because I was not a woman. And then many, many years later, when we were facing very big problems with infant care in the migrant population in Israel, I started opening daycare centers where I learned how to take care of babies and fell in love with that job. Hmm. So coming now to South Africa, I've been very, very happy to identify Hotel Hope, an institution founded to take care of abandoned children, and I've been volunteering there on Friday mornings, and so am now volunteering with babies both in Jerusalem and in Johannesburg, hmm. and as happy as a lark. How apt, given we're entering into the Christmas season and you're preaching in the Christmas season, to be talking about your experience with babies. Tell me, what have you chosen to focus your homily on, given the readings for the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord? So, first of all, I want to say thank you for having asked me to preach on these particular readings. I will be focusing on the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, the story of the three wise men coming from the East in search of the King 
And then after encountering the king in Jerusalem, being sent to Bethlehem to find the real king, who is Jesus, bringing their gifts and adoring him. I'll be preaching on that text. Wonderful. And you're preaching within a specific context. I mean, you're in Johannesburg at the moment, but you were the vicar for Hebrew-speaking Catholics in Israel from 2008 to 2017. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct, yes. I was born a Jew and remain a Jew. I didn't have any faith until I became a Catholic. And that is also my parish community. It's the church into which I was baptized, Uh which afterwards I became responsible for, the community of Hebrew-speaking Catholics in Israel. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into that, I think, in the conversation, because it's such an interesting experience and so important for the times that we're living in. David, I can't wait to hear your homily, so I'm not going to delay us any further. We will now hear David Neuhaus preach for the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord, especially recorded for Preach. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was born in difficult times, not easier than those in which we live today. Yet despite the darkness surrounding him, there were those who found their way to the manger in order to adore him. God does not abandon us in times of darkness and continues to guide us to the light, even if we struggle with the darkness that seeks to swallow us. In the Gospel reading today, there are a number of surprising elements. I would like to underline a few so that we can become more aware of the ways in which God works in our world. This Feast of the Epiphany, the Manifestation of the Lord, is symbolized by the bright star in the Gospel we heard. It leads three magi, wise men from the East, on a journey. These men, not from the people of Israel, do not know the scriptures that speak of God and God's promises. However, they are able to read the signs in nature, gazing at the stars. Following this special star, they set out to find the King of the Jews, who is the Savior of all the nations. Interestingly, the star does not lead them to the manger in Bethlehem, where the child lies. Rather, it takes them to Jerusalem, center of the Jewish world, to King Herod. Jesus will later say to the Samaritan woman, Salvation comes from the Jews. The word of God in the scriptures, the word of salvation comes to us from the Jews, a people chosen by God to bring light into the world, the light that results from living according to God's word. The wise men must hear the words of the prophets from the Jews in Jerusalem, It is there that they learn that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, as spoken by the prophet Micah. However, unconsciously, these wise men from the nations also challenge the Jews in Jerusalem. In a special way, they provoke the king. Standing before the king, or at least the one who thinks he is King Herod, they ask, where is the king? Can you imagine saying to a king, where is the king? It is not just impolite, 
it is verging on insurrection. From the Old Testament, we know that the king of Israel is supposed to be God. When the people was born, emerging from Egypt after crossing the sea, they sing with Moses, God reigns forever. However, this people, seeking to be like all other people, repeatedly asks to have a king of flesh and blood rather than recognizing God as its king. The story of kingship in Israel, starting with Avimelech in the book of Judges and passing through the figures of Saul, David, and Solomon, and many other kings, most of them great sinners, is mostly a tragic story. Kings tend to be pharaohs, ruthless, self-interested, and corrupt. And Herod, who will be revealed as a true pharaoh, slaughtering the children of Bethlehem to try and wipe out the Messiah, understands immediately what the wise men are saying. These three strangers, without even knowing it, are telling him that his time is up. They are announcing that the true king has come. They are speaking truth to power. These wise men from the east were from among the nations, and yet God opens for them a way to reach the light. They read the book of a wonderful creation, which we tend to overlook in times of darkness. Like the Bible, creation too tells of the Creator and His plan for our lives. In this plan, life is stronger than death. Light will vanquish darkness, and yet the way is long and winding. The wise men offer the baby their gifts, expected gifts, for a king, gold, and for a high priest, incense. As mentioned in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, which we also read on this feast. However, they also bring out of their pouches myrrh an unexpected gift that heralds the fate of the baby. Myrrh is used to prepare a corpse for burial. Indeed, darkness will try to extinguish the light, but will never succeed. Already at his birth, Jesus is bringing together Jews and Gentiles, Israel and the nations. The Jewish shepherds we heard about on Christmas Day are now joined by the Gentile wise men at the manger. They have all come to adore the Word of God. St. Paul reminds us that in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is, the hostility between us. He seeks to create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. On this feast, let us again swear fidelity to the one and only King the merciful and compassionate Father who seeks out all his children in order to give them life and blessing. 
light and joy in excess through his Son. On this feast, he reveals his Son to the world. Come, let us go to the manger in order to give him all we have. We know he will give us more than we can imagine, and also his peace. Amen. That was David Neuhaus for Preach. After the break, David speaks about the essential relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how the best Christian preaching is a mutually enriching dialogue between the two. Welcome back to Preach. David, I've never thought about those readings in the way that you've put them today, especially this idea of the wise men from the East who did not know the scriptures. You are steeped in the scriptures, both from your Jewish heritage, you know, born a Jew, but as a priest in the Christian scriptures. I remember when I was studying scripture in my theology studies, there was always a confusion, right? We would speak about the Old Testament, the New Testament, then we were told don't speak about the Old Testament and the New Testament, speak about the First Testament and the New Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Bible. What is your take on that? How should we approach our terminology regarding the Scriptures? So, Ricardo, I'm a staunch defender of the traditional Christian vocabulary, Old Testament and New Testament. First of all, there's no way to change the naming of the collection of 27 books that have Jesus at their core. We call that the New Testament. And so detaching it from a collection called the Old Testament breaks the unity that is so absolutely essential to what we know as our Christian Bible, calling it the First Testament or the Hebrew Testament or the Jewish Testament. And then what does new mean? What I think is very important is to realize that we have three milieu in which these books are read. A Christian milieu, the milieu of the church, where the collection is called the Old Testament. That is meaningless for Jews who read the same scriptures and from whom we have much to learn. They call those books Torah or written Torah or sometimes Tanakh, referring to the canonization of the three parts as Torah, prophets, and writings. They have their nomenclature. Then there is the nomenclature that is used in the academia, that milieu that developed after the 18th century, where people started to ask new questions that were not Jewish questions and not Christian questions, but historical questions and critical questions. And there we identify the scriptures according to their original languages. So we have Hebrew scriptures and Aramaic scriptures and Greek scriptures, etc., etc. I think that it's best to keep these vocabularies within the milieu in which they use. So when we speak in church, we need to say Old Testament. Mm. So I think my fear, or at least the fear that was instilled in me, was that somehow by saying old and new, we're talking about one thing replacing the other, or supersessionism, right? That somehow Jesus came to replace what came before in the Old Testament. So this is our consumerist problem our capitalist problem. If something's old, 
we throw it in the garbage. We have new. So that works very well if you have old equipment with which you're recording me and it comes out garbled, you're going to say, I chuck that out, I throw it out into the garbage, it's old, and I bring in the new. But Ricardo, if we sit down to dinner and you say, well, there's this new wine that has just been produced, and then there is this extraordinarily old wine, I'll say, bring on the old wine. I don't care how much it's costing. You're inviting me to a glass of old wine. I think here we need to really understand that when we say old, we're talking about roots. We're talking about what gives meaning. We're talking about wisdom. By the way, we have this problem in society. What do we do with old people? We throw them in the garbage? Or do we draw on their wisdom, their experience, their knowledge? This is the old in relationship to the new. We need the old. The new always leads us back to the old because in the old, we discover the depth of what is being expressed in the brevity of the new. That's really helpful. Thank you, David. I'm going to certainly use that in my preaching and hopefully make that clear to my congregation and to people when they ask me about these questions. We know that the readings from the Old Testament, such as the reading from Isaiah today, and the Gospel, Matthew, connect. There's generally a connection between the first reading and the gospel. We often ignore it, I think, many preachers, partly because we're afraid of the First Testament or we don't understand it well enough for it to communicate with the gospel. It may come to you more naturally, but I presume that this is something you learned, especially in your conversion to Christianity. How do you begin to make this connection? So, Ricardo, I need to be honest and say that, yes, I was born a Jew, I grew up as a Jew, but I need to say that religion didn't interest me in the least. Mm. And although it was forced on us to read biblical texts and study Hebrew in the Jewish day school I went to, it never attracted me as something of any interest to my life. It was only with the growing relationship with Jesus that I began to read the Bible. And like a Christian, which I am from a religious point of view, I began to realize that reading the New Testament was like reading some kind of shorthand that needed a code of interpretation. In fact, it didn't always seem to make much sense. And I think that's not because I'm Jewish, but because I love to read and so tend to read quite closely the text and realizing that something was missing when I only read the gospel narrative. And so it was a growing discovery to realize that those that were using language in the New Testament were using a language that was steeped in their own religious experience as Jews. And here I'm not talking about my religious experience, but the religious experience of people that we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, etc., etc. These people knew the scriptures. This was their language. It was a language which allowed them to speak about God. And so when the challenge appeared, this tomb is empty. What has happened this man who was crucified and we buried is no longer there in the tomb. They went back to the language that they knew, the language which allowed them to speak about God, and slowly but surely found the words, the vocabulary, the syntax, the expressions with which they could tell what we call the good news. 
that Jesus in Jesus' death had conquered death. So this for me is absolutely foundational to the way I understand the scriptures. And in my congregation, which is a Hebrew-speaking congregation, the access to the readings of the Old Testament is foundational because we speak that language of the Old Testament. And so I don't think I've ever given a homily where I am not winding together, weaving together the readings from the Old Testament and the New. Somebody stopped me recently. We had lessons and carols in our parish, and somebody stopped me and said, I wish that preachers would say more often that Jesus was a Jew (laughs) and remind us that Jesus was a Jew. And why don't preachers do that? And I must say it came to me as a surprise because I certainly don't divorce Jesus being a Jew from Christianity in the way that maybe she thinks that we do. How do you think that as preachers, we can do that better? that we can respect the Judaism that was, you know, foundational to Jesus and continue to be foundational, and then also still preach the good news as we understand it in the gospel. So let me first say that if that person had turned to address me, I would correct her. I never say Jesus was a Jew. Is Jesus alive? And if he's alive, then why are we talking about him in the past tense? Mm. Jesus is a Jew. And, of course, we then believe that that people, that Jewish people that gave us Jesus, has invited us into the peoplehood of God. Mm. So, yes, Jesus is a Jew. He remains a Jew. And in a certain sense, we also have been, and I use now the language of St. Paul, we have been grafted onto the domestic olive tree that is Israel. And how is that? Well, we speak the language, or at least we try to speak the language, which is the language of the Jewish people, that language that I described earlier, that enabled those who wrote the New Testament to speak about Jesus. They mobilized a known language, the language of the scriptures of Israel. And that is supposed to become our language as people who are spreading this good news in Jesus, who is a Jew, who is the King of Israel, who is the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Savior of the nations. Again, I think that this reading on the Epiphany reminds us that, and again, it's that strange narrative element in the story, why didn't the star take them straight to Bethlehem? The star led them from the east step by step. Why did it take them to Jerusalem? And I think it took them to Jerusalem as we are always taken to Jerusalem because we must encounter the scriptures of Israel. That's what happens to them in Jerusalem. They encounter the scriptures of Israel. And from there, they can get the precision that is lacking in the book of creation. Mm. So the star has led them in the direction they need to go, but it is from the scriptures of Israel that they will receive the precise destination to which they are going, Bethlehem. What is one thing that you would ask preachers to do that would help them to make this marriage between the Old Testament and the New Testament clearer in their preaching and in their preparation? So I think that we have been enormously helped by the choice of the readings. 
these are not just slapdash choices where we take something, rip it out of the Old Testament, slap it into the lectionary, and something out of the New Testament and slap it into the lectionary, particularly on Sundays. There is always some intimate connection between the first reading from the Old Testament and the third reading from the Gospel. And I would say to the preacher, after the preacher has read each reading very carefully, taken a time of reflection with each reading, the challenge then is to discover what is the dynamic relationship between the first reading and the third reading, a link that makes our preaching richer. I would also say that it is very helpful when we realize that what we are called to do in a homily is to make Jesus alive, bring Jesus alive, and that Jesus is made alive by explicit texts about Jesus in the New Testament and an implicit promise of Jesus in the Old Testament. I speak as a Christian. I would say to a Jew, this is how I as a Christian read the text. Mm. In my own community, it is not surprising that sometimes the homily will focus completely on a text from the Old Testament. But when I travel abroad, people are often shocked when I say, okay, today, after the readings we have heard, I am going to focus on the reading we heard from the book of Exodus. Mm. But of course, after hearing the homily on the book of Exodus, people will realize that as a Christian, I'm already seeing a fullness of Jesus in the book of Exodus. And this is, of course, the tradition of the church going back all the centuries to the writing of the New Testament and the apostolic age and the age of the church fathers and mothers that followed that and really realized that this message is, in a very profound sense, talking about God. And if we believe that Jesus is God, then we find him both in the old and the new. David, we're in a time in our world, and especially in Israel and Palestine, I had the privilege of visiting earlier this year. And the first time I met you was in the Holy Land when I went to the Hebrew-speaking Catholic community in Haifa, where you were teaching the children. And then we had a wonderful meal and we celebrated Mass together. But looking at our world and the situation right now, how do you think, as preachers, we can speak truth to power in this particular situation that we're living in of war? So, of course, I think that before we even say how can we speak truth to power, we need to say that in so many cases, and particularly in our context, Israel-Palestine, the word of God is turned into the word of power-hungry pharaohs mm. who turn the word not into a word of life, but into a word of death and destruction and use, uh, exploit the biblical text to justify human ideologies of hatred and the rejection of the other and death. I think we need to have that awareness that it's within this context that we're proposing, perhaps and hopefully, a message of life and light and truth from the scriptures. Because I think that many, many people in Israel-Palestine see the Bible as some kind of poison, and especially those that are suffering the most. So, again, it's a challenge. But I think that the Bible opens with texts that are just a treasury of language in order to speak truth to power. And I'll just use a very, very basic element in our common heritage as Jews and Christians, the idea that 
we, and when I say we, I don't mean Jews, I don't mean Christians, I mean we, human beings within the biblical text are represented as being created in the image and likeness of God. This is foundational. This is the beginning of the story. It doesn't start with the election of Israel. This is the greatness of the scriptures of Israel, that the very scriptures of Israel do not begin with some kind of ethnocentric story focusing on Israel. The scriptures begin with a universal narrative that talks about every single human being being created in the image and likeness. By the way, I had a very striking experience one day that drove home, what does that mean, image and likeness? I have lived in Jerusalem since the age of 15 and would visit my parents very occasionally. And on one of those occasional visits, many, many years after I left, I was walking down the street with my father and we ran into a friend of his who didn't even know that I existed. But he looked at me and then he looked at my father and then he looked at my father and he looked at me and he said, Rolf, my father's name was Rolf, this must be your son. He's your image and your likeness. And I suddenly said, wow, that's what it means. We are created as sons and daughters of God, not Jews, but all of us, not Christians, but every single human being. And so I think that already from there, when I see what's happening in Israel-Palestine today, the death, the devastation that is being sowed, my image is very clearly of a father, mother, parent God weeping over the loss of these children and not making a distinction and saying, oh, that one is a Zionist colonial settler or that one is a Hamas terrorist, that one is a Muslim, that one is a Jew, but God is weeping over the children that are being destroyed. So already there, uh, we have such a wealth of language to speak a language that sows life and light and joy. Hmm. David, you know, in our Catholic tradition, in our liturgy, we talk about the Jews were the first to hear the word of God. You have reminded us that that word is for all people without distinction. They may have been the first to hear it, but it is a word that is for us all. Thank you so much for the encouragement you have given us. I'm sure that for our preachers, it will be an encouragement too. I'm probably going to have to listen to this episode several times over to grasp all the richness that you have brought to the episode. Thank you. And I know you'll be returning to Israel soon and to Jerusalem as Jesus is born in that place so devastated right now. Our prayers go with you. Thank you very much, Ricardo. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to David's homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. This episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Michael O'Brien offered production assistance. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. We recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a brief survey. 
we want to hear what works for you on this podcast, what you found really helpful, what you found less helpful, so that we can improve from show to show. You can follow me on X and Instagram at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before we go, did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. The link is in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news and Merry Christmas. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.